church and you get more aerobics than other times. Oh, goodness. Uh, there's a, a saying among pastors that if the choir does a good job, all you have to do is fall across the goal line. Right? They got you all the way there to the one-yard line. You just have to fall in. So, so y'all pray with me and be with me as I fall in at this moment in time with you. Oh, goodness. Wake up, everybody. Wake up. Wake up. What a wonderful song. Wake up. And for the beginning of our series, that's the title of today's section from Glennon, is Waking Up. Uh, she talks about all the ways we need to wake up in our lives, both in our own heads, and our families, and the world, and how hard it can be. And I love the words to that song. It says, no more, no more backward thinking. Time for thinking ahead. And then, here's the challenge. The world won't get any better if we just let it be. We've got to be the change, you and me. The world's not going to get any better if we let it be. We've got to be the change, you and me. And then they call people out, right? You teachers. you got to take care of the young ones. You doctors. you got to take care of the old ones. You builders. you got to build a new thing. And for us today, you pew sitters, whether you're sitting in them up there, you're sitting them on here, you're sitting them out there. Everybody. Everybody is a part of that great team that can make it better. Be the change. You and me. Oh, goodness, only love can reboot us. Did you hear that? I like that. It said, even in this world of computers, only love can reboot you. Oh, my goodness. You might think I'm hip, quoting those lyrics, but, uh, <laughs> but I am not. Uh, we, we, have, we have all of these wonderful shows and series that try and talk about what it means to wake up. Some of them are blockbusters and some of them are not, but I always love those kind of shows where people wake up in a reality and discover it's something different, and they have to wake up from it. One of my favorite ones is The Matrix, you know, where they're a part of this whole web of things that's not the truth, and he has to wake up from it. I watched that whole movie, and I saw him wake up, and I thought, oh, man, he's done it, and then the second movie came out, <laughs> and there was a different level of waking up that had to happen. And then they weren't through yet. There was a third level of waking up that had to happen. And so I appreciate that, that trilogy, and I appreciate what it says to me this morning is that waking up just doesn't happen one time. And sometimes you can have that first aha experience, and then you can look back six years later and say, I didn't even know what that was about till now. <laughs> right? Even six months later or six days later, because waking up is a journey that we all are on for our whole lives, and sometimes we get it by a shock, sometimes it grows gradually in us, but the scripture asked us to be awake, it asked us to be awake, no more backward thinking, time for thinking ahead in the lyrics of the music, and in the words of the gospel of John, you know, there's truth, and that truth is going to set you free, there is truth. And then there's the levels. You'll get set free once, and you're going to get set free again, and you're going to get set free again because you're going to understand it more and more and more. This truth is going to set you free. And I love it as he engages with the people of that day and time in the Gospel of John, which was a community that had been thrown out of their church. The Gospel of John where it was at a time period when Jews were fighting amongst themselves. And so Jew would rise against Jew and they would say, okay, you Christian Jews, you're causing too much of a ruckus. You can't come here to church anymore. 
That was what was happening when this gospel was being written. And so when you read this gospel and you see this happening, this dialogue, this passage, chapter 8 in John, has been used for horrible, horrible things in our world. It has been used to say the Jews killed Jesus. Have you heard that? And they didn't recognize that Jesus was a Jew. It's this inner family squabble about who, who gets to be in the, this place or that place and who has the right truth at this particular time. You've never been in any of those conversations? Maybe recently, who has the right truth this time? You know, even to the point of what a fact is, you know? We can debate it. This fact, that fact. Well, I've got these facts. You've got those facts. Let's talk about that some. So Jesus says, if you go for the truth and not just facts, you will be set free. But people have taken this passage and turned over tombstones in Jewish cemeteries. People have taken this passage and spray-painted swastikas on Jewish synagogues. People not recognizing this was an inner family argument between people have used it to be anti-Semitic and to harm people in our world. We have to watch out about scripture because we have to know the situation of what's happening where it is because if we don't, then we might make the false assumption. And Jesus says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. I love it that in this passage, the next part of it actually <laughs> goes a little bit farther. It says, any whose sins is still enslaved. And Jesus cautions us to whether or not we think we're free. And we're not. Did you catch that? What did they say? This is a group of Jewish people and they said, we've never been slaves. Did you catch that? We've never been slaves. Let's go back and read Exodus, shall we? <laughs> Let's go back and look at your own story that we celebrate every year during the Passover. Let's go back and look at our traditions and ritual. But we've never been slaves. Imagine Jesus talking to this group of people, you know, saying, really, you're still enslaved. If you don't know your own history and your own story, you're still enslaved. You know, we have competing stories going on now in our world that people are still enslaved to. We have this wonderful story of, you know, bringing yourself up by your own bootstraps. Do you like that one? I did it myself. Nobody helped me. These are American fables. These are American truths. If you work hard enough and try hard enough and don't ever sleep or rest or take a day off and, you know, multitask Manuel, if you do all of those things, then you are going to pick yourself up by your bootstraps and you will succeed, you know? And, and what it means, though, also is, and if you don't succeed, that means it's your fault. If you don't have the blessings that we think you should have or you think you should have, then it's your own doing and it's your own fault. And while I admit there's causality about doing nothing, the song says it. If we don't do anything, the world's not going to change. But there's also causality that's bigger than what anyone else can control. That is not their fault. And so to blame them in such a way isn't the truth of the matter. Oh my goodness, this truth stuff can get you a little bit around the ankles and tackle you and you have to get back up again. Have you ever thought you were free only to realize there were chains all over you? The author of this book talks about waking up from addiction, waking up from a variety of chains in her life the moment she found out she was pregnant. 
but it startled her into a new way of being. And then she thought she was awake, and then she found out a year later after that, and a year later than that, she still wasn't awake and had to get more awake as time went on. She realized that she had used things to fill herself up, but they were never the thing. She had used drugs and alcohol and sex and other methods, buying things to make herself feel less pain or less empty. And she recognized that even after doing that all the time, she can say, you know when it's not the thing, when you do all of that and you feel worse afterwards or even more empty. And she called that a God-sized hole that you're not meant to fill. You're meant to sit before and maybe wake up to what is empty in your life and what God's calling you to do. This empty space is not a bad thing. It's a thing for us to ask questions a way to live into some more graceful lives, even in the middle of our brokenness. It seems like these days people have forgotten what grace is. How do we have it for ourselves and how do we have it for others? Oh, even in this world of computers and social media, only love will reboot us. Wake up, wake up. And how can we ever be free if we're not aware that we're asleep? Our author calls it the brutiful world, brutiful, brutal and beautiful together. You could be grieving like Reverend Vicky this morning. In the midst of that, you could find joy that you never knew before. And in the midst of that, world is brutiful. And you get awake, alert to all that it has to bring to you. And you maybe get rebooted by love you didn't realize was still there. You know, so, so whether you're part of an outcast community, which we have many this day, and you want to shout out the world and say, come on, y'all are killing me. You're breaking my family apart. You are killing me. You know, I heard from last service to this service, someone said there's actually 10 black trans women that have been killed so far this year. Stop killing us. You know, there's, there's all folks in our world right now that are afraid. You know, and I wonder if they're saying, you know, just stop, stop hurting us. Won't you just let us be part of this family? See, we're part of the family having this fight. Can't you just let us be part of the family and stop trying to kill us? Sometimes you start on the big scale with the world and sometimes on the personal scale with your family. Sometimes just on the spiritual scale in yourself. Where so many things may be going on competing uh, information and feelings, and you can feel like that head exploding up there, not knowing which way you want to go. You know, what in your life will help you wake up? You know, not sure exactly what it is for you, but for Walter and I, it happened about a year ago when we adopted a kid. <laughs> and, and I love this word that our young adults are using these days when they're filling out their taxes and turning their taxes in. They say they're adulting. Y'all heard that word? They're adulting. Okay, I did this thing and it was really, really responsible. I refinanced, whatever. I'm adulting. It's sort of like living as if they're adults and they're like 45, you know, but I'm, I'm, I'm adulting, you know. And so I think when Walter and I um, uh, decided to adopt a child, we didn't know how much adulting we were going to be doing as we did that. Our lives have been a little crazy since, but it's been joyful in the learning process. And we're discovering truths that we didn't know before. <laughs> truths about ourselves, truths about life. Because, you know, I didn't think I could get angry before anymore. 
you know, like real angry until this last year again. <laughs> but my goodness gracious. And I, I just, uh, I, I want to tell you a story about driving in our, in our family. And most recently I had a car accident. I was in my, at my father's house in Sharpstown. And it's a relatively short driveway. It's slanted, it's a short driveway. And as I was backing out of the driveway, I backed right across one lane into a parked car. Right? That's, you know, that's just, just right out into a parked car. And, and, I, and I thought, what in the world is going on? I looked, I checked my mirrors, I did all this stuff. And, uh, and I just kind of thought, you know what, well, maybe, maybe, Michael, it was your fault. <laughs> because, because he was sitting next to me, and, and Michael has a way of touching things, you know, in the car. But he gets to change the radio stations and put in the CDs and all that sort of stuff in my car. And he had just recently found the emergency brake. And so, so, so I thought, you know, that would, that would be okay for, for me to do. And, uh, and then, you know, sometimes when you wake up, even if it's a crash of some kind, you look for someone to blame, right? Instead of looking at what you need to do in your life. And so Reverend Vicki actually gave me the name of a chiropractor, which I went to, which surprised me because I always thought that stuff was voodoo. And I went to this chiropractor, and lo and behold, I had three knots on my neck that had been there for at least a decade that went away in an hour. And I thought, there must be something to this. There must be something to this work. And then she asked me to turn to the left and turn to the right before she did it, and she said, oh, that's not good. And so I, I listened to her talking about this, and then I was remembered that about three years ago I had another car accident. before Michael came to live with us, <laughs> where I backed into a parked car. <laughs> Not at my father's house in another location. And so, you know, we, we can blame things right there before us, and then we can realize, she says, you just have no range of motion, so I couldn't have looked behind me. You know, and I couldn't have seen before. But often when we wake up, we would rather blame something else instead of looking at what we might need to do and change. And then we may not realize, oh, this has been going on for a while. It's not just this moment. It's not just this instant that we need to do that. So we told Walter about this, and, and Walter was getting angry at me. <laughs> He's getting angry at me because he says, I don't let Michael touch anything in my car. You know, and so, because uh, Walter puts things in everything, so he's telling me, you know, don't let him do that. Don't let him, you know, play with things in the car like that. And I said, well, he likes to touch things. I, it's okay with me. And I looked at Walter and I said, you know what? For 19 years, I've never been able to put a CD in my own car. <laughs> For 19 years since we've been together, you change the radio station. You pick what's going to go on there. I've never had any say-so whatsoever. So... So you have trained me not to take any control over what goes on in the radio stations. And so, so, but there it is again to blame something rather than to look at maybe what 18 years put together and what is happening even in a simple moment of a car accident. Imagine what we try to do when the truth is something bigger than that. 
when the truth is something about social justice, when the truth is something about poverty, when the truth is something about violence to those who can't protect themselves, when the truth is about something so much larger in our lives, how much we still have to unpack and how much we still have to see. I was reminded in that story of Acts chapter 7, 51, when Stephen's talking to the congregation there and saying, you are a stiff-necked people. I didn't know how stiff-necked I was. You know, until I went to that chiropractor, goodness gracious. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. You might not even think you're a slave. But watch out. The truth will still set you free. If you're open to be surprised by the Holy Spirit, if you're open to that good work. Sometimes, though, we don't really want to wake up because we're afraid that there won't be any more peace in our life. If I have to pay attention to all of these things that are going on in the world, where will I ever be able to sleep again? Where will I be able to, to find that mountaintop experience? Let me go to Everest, but don't wake me up. I can do all these things to find peace on my fishing boat. You know, I can be at peace there, but please don't wake me up from the dream. And I think Jesus is saying the truth will set you free because... It's more than just peace of being away from each other. There are faith traditions that talk about detachment. And there are faith traditions that talk about not being connected as a way for spiritually to grow. You know, and those are good and true for those people. That's not what Jesus did. He went for a moment and then came back to engage people. He went for a, for a, a bit and then came back to work with the family to see what peace could look like. And so our author says it this way. She was asking God this question, and she said, God says, well, gee, here's the thing. Peace isn't the absence of distraction or annoyance or pain. It's finding me. Finding peace and calm in the midst of those distractions and annoyances and pains. Don't run away from them. Don't numb them out. Don't avoid them. Don't try to stay asleep. Right in the middle of them, ask me to be there and know that I am with you. This is where peace comes, not from the avoidance, but from the presence and from engagement. Now, Jesus liked the mountaintop, but Jesus spent his ministry with and among the people. And I want to tell you, sometimes you have a hard time knowing what the truth is today with facts and alternative facts and, you know, things I thought were true being said they're not true and just what in the world could truth be? You know, how do we, how do we what do we judge it now? What is the definition? You know, I, I love that science thing they just had because, you know, science had to be true, right? Well, some people are saying, no, science doesn't have to be true. So what I do when I get that confused as I go back to the Gospels and I look at the model and message of Jesus, and I look at this verse that says the truth is going to set you free. And so when I read that language, I look at Jesus, and for me, it's not about separating from the world. It's not about going away to find that moment. It's about being right in the midst of God's people, engaging exactly the way Jesus did. So when I say the truth will make me free, I look at Jesus' life and actions I look at that truth. I look at a peasant prophet who lived on the margins of society, 
I looked at the man who would invite you into his home, even if you didn't want him there. I look at the one who would turn over tables when poor people were being cheated. I look at the one who would even heal people on the wrong day because it needed to happen. And if you said something about it, he was going to get sassy with you. <laughs> and you were going to look bad. You know, this is our Savior. This is Jesus. This is the truth for us. It doesn't mean that there aren't other truths out there, but this is the truth for us. And whenever all this chaos is going around and I need to reboot, it has to be with love. And if it has to be with love, it has to be this truth, this Jesus, who cared so much about us, the extravagance is overwhelming. Amen. Attendeth my way when sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me. Yeah.